Hello, you're listening to season two of Everyday Creative People. I'm your host, Dina Adrians, and this podcast is all about the question, what does it mean to live a life driven by curiosity, creativity, and love over fear? Each week, you can tune in to hear me discussing various topics related to this question with leaders, artists, and entrepreneurs who are each living out this pursuit in their own unique ways. When you've finished listening to today's show, please take a moment to subscribe to future episodes and rate the podcast, leave a comment, and tell a friend. You can find all the show notes over at dinaadriance.com slash ecppodcast. Now settle in, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Creative People. I'm here today with Chloe Varaliti, who uh, is the founder of Humans Who Play, which is a new design firm with offices in Washington and soon to be in Nairobi. And Humans Who Play uses play as a force for good. Uh, So before doing this, Chloe was part of the early teams at the Institute of Play, Quest to Learn, the Mozilla Foundation, and Little Bits, where as a play designer, she launched everything from top-rated apps to franchise products for Marvel and Disney to a public school that was featured on the cover of the New York Times Magazine, which is super cool. Um, So you can tell already that this interview is going to be all about play. Uh, Chloe has won multiple awards for her work along the way, including some from ISTE and TOTY, Toy of the Year, uh, and Common Sense Media. She's recognized as one of the good 100 for shaping the world in meaningful and creative ways, and she frequently lectures about harnessing play as a force for innovation and doing good. She's also an adjunct professor at the Corcoran School of Art and Design, where she teaches interaction design. Chloe, welcome to the podcast. So happy to be here. Thanks for that introduction. So if we could start off with the question, what does play mean to you? (laughs) Uh, it's my life. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, I mean, I think of play as um, as life, as a mindset. And uh, I don't know, I, I it, it's hard actually to define play per se and what it means to me. But I think of it as a way to interact with the world and a way to live your life. Um, mm. is, yeah, centered around curiosity, creativity, joy, um, empathy, things like that. Yeah, those are all the things that this podcast is all about. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you find yourself in this, like, so deeply embedded in this world of play? Oh, completely by luck, I think. (laughs) Um, Well, I, the long story of it is that um, I studied architecture back when I was living in Greece. And uh, I mean, I loved, I loved architecture school, but then for my thesis, somehow I decided to design a playground. Mm. And it was this really wacky playground for adults. And it was all about the senses. It was an urban park. It was really out there. Um, and somehow I graduated with that thesis. But after that, I don't know, I was really curious about games and play. And I started reading um, a book called Homo Ludens, um, mm. and I was just really influenced about uh, play uh, design, I guess. And then I came to New York um, to do a master's in design and technology, and I started taking game design classes. 
Mm. And then I was super fortunate to um, start working as a game designer after I graduated. And then I, I never turned back to architecture <laughs> or anything else. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. awesome. So I'm just, I'm, I'm looking at your bio again, and I um, am looking at this sentence uh, that Humans Who Play is a design firm that uses play as a force for good. What does that look like? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I think a lot of, so a lot of the work we do is actually focused on uh, education. And I think that's because educators really get play. They mm -hmm. get why play is important and they get how play will make learning much more engaging. Um, so it can take different forms. So some of the work we do is um, taking curriculum that might be hard to digest or um, not so enticing like learning computer science uh, and making it more playful and engaging um, and then other times it might just be straight up designing, you know, products like games and toys that um, teach kids, kids something, whether it's social emotional learning or STEM skills. Hmm. Now, if I remember correctly, uh, there was something that you organized in Greece several years ago yeah. that sort of sparked, helped to spark some of this path. Is that accurate? Well, I, um, it's one of my, the projects I guess I'm most proud about is a street game festival mm. that we did in Athens, yeah, a few years ago. We run it for about four years called Athens Plaython. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was another kind of a little bit by chance moment. <laughs> um, but I, it was really like me having coffee with a friend in Athens, and that was in the middle of the... Um, 2010 financial crisis that um, had hit the city really hard. Um, there mm. were demonstrations every day, uh, quite violent sometimes. Unemployment in youth was something wild, like 60% um, unemployment between the ages of 20 and 30. In general, Athens, which is a city that is um, really about uh, enjoying the urban space, mm. uh, being out was much more introverted and we had this idea of uh, doing a street games festival which sounded quite naive actually yeah. um, as a way to kind of bring people back in the streets and and have them uh, meet each other and almost use play as a, a therapeutic mode out mm. of the crisis and yeah to our surprise it worked so well it, we had like an amazing show up and then kept doing it for a bunch of years Wow. How big was the festival? The last one was 2,000 people, which is crazy because it was <laughs> word of mouth. Um, I still remember like one, we were a, a few weeks before the festival. I was in um, outside the metro station called Piseo in the center of Athens. And I was just like testing some of the games with the designers um, just to prep before the festival. And these um, young kids came out, like, I don't know, they were 17, 19 um, cool Athenian youth and they saw our little sign and they were like oh, are you from the Playton Festival and we were like yes <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it that people like really like knew uh, knew about us in that way but yeah it was it was really fun and uh, it was definitely a project that steered 
me towards this idea of like um you know play for impact play for good yeah why is play important i mean please i feel like the 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 short answer although we can obviously talk about it the whole podcast is that you know play is actually i i i really believe that plays in our dna like it's it's a core part of who we are as humans in fact um i really realized that i think when i um i've worked with kids all my life but when i became a mother myself i i realized how babies that's like the first thing they do before they even talk you know they just play and tinker and that's how they understand the world and how they learn and then as you know we grow older play is our favorite way of um coming up with new ideas and you know as as again as we grow older plays often become social so you start playing with others and it's uh, a key way actually for us to develop empathy um and connect with uh you know the the people who we play with because the thing that happens with play is that you know when you play you are in what we call this magic circle so it's the invisible kind of boundary set by the rules of the play and you're present you're connected um you're equalized you're kind of ready to yeah. listen and and learn from each other hmm is there a difference between i mean i don't know this this might be obvious but is there a difference between play that happens in childhood versus play that happens in adulthood um yeah i think i mean there's diff- it's a different um audience as we would say in design <laughs> speak um but i think what is really interesting especially when you look at um you know the street games festival like the one we did in athens and there um a ton here in the us as well that a lot of times have mostly adults as audience mm-hmm. and what is interesting is you when you see the way adults play it's not that different uh they still get really competitive and you see the true self of somebody actually when they start playing a game it's yeah <laughs> funny um and they ha- they have the same thirst sometimes even more uh to play because i think as adults plays frowned upon right like yeah even though i mean so many people play video games or games on their phone during their commute it's not like people will brag about it um plays sometimes gets a bad a bad rep as something that is childish or trivial and not worth your time um mm. so i think when it is celebrated it's kind of a relief for adults yeah yeah how do you um how do you create an environment or an atmosphere in which play can happen for adults that's such a great question that was actually also my primary worry when we did the street game festival in athens hmm. because i think especially when it comes to public play um you might have to put yourself out there a bit right make a fool of yourself a little bit in front of others and i was really worried i was like ah oh. um my experience with this kind of games was run, like running them and designing games for um a festival in new york called come out and play 
and it was New York and I think the festival like you know was in places like Times Square or Union Square and New Yorkers are just ready to like make a fool of themselves I think any moment <laughs> and I was like oh how it's gonna be with queer people but I think it's a, a lot about it is about um, that idea of the magic circle. Um, so designing the space, even if it's just a small thing. So there is an indicator that this is this is a different space where um, you know, everything is possible and the rules of the game are what is what defines what is appropriate. Um, hmm. So and the other thing is peer pressure. <laughs> You just need one enthusiastic player for everybody else to jump in. Um, so I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's really about setting kind of those expectations and creating the, the space for play to happen. Mm. But yeah, That's it is cool. a good question. <laughs> okay, so um, right now, Humans Who Play is in D.C. And uh, as it says in your bio, there's soon to be an office in Nairobi. Tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, this is mainly um, my business partner, Aria Mogos, um, who is right now uh, based in Nairobi um, okay. and is um, consulting the government of Kenya, actually, around playful learning and implementing that on a national scale. What? <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's really interesting. And I think that is something we are definitely um, focusing a lot as a company right now is you know, in in the Western world, in, in the US, for example, I think, you know, there is definitely a movement towards more STEM and STEAM and play and education. Mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of the times the solutions we design um, don't really work in lo-fi environments. And I think one of the things that we are really passionate about with Ariam is how do we design play for a lo-fi setting? So mm. a setting like a refugee camp or, um, you know, wow. public yeah. schools across Africa. And yeah, that's the, it's really possible. So I think it's just a matter of uh, just tackling it as a design problem. So can you walk me through, uh, speaking of, um, it's just a matter of tackling it as a design problem. So what does that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, I can give you an example of some work we did with... Um, refugees in uh, Greece actually so Greece right now has um, a ton of refugee camps with Syrian and Afghan refugees um, and uh, they're only getting bigger these camps and they're full of uh, full of children in mm. fact there's sometimes it's like 60% of the camp is children Wow! and um, a lot of the times they, there's no space for playing there might be a community area but there's not like a playground and play is not necessarily incorporated in the curriculum that might be taught in like the, the school of the camp. So we worked very closely with educators there, but also parents um, to develop this modular playground solution that we're kind of still working on um, that encouraged families to, instead of just serving them a product, um, having them you know, work with us and co-design this modular play solution uh, mm. that kids used to make their own games. And it really, really worked. It was just amazing to see the engagement from that community. Mm. That's cool. It's, it's interesting. It sounds like you work a lot across um, 
or in within different, very different cultural environments. Um, and mm. I'm, I'm curious if you've noticed any differences um, across cultures, across locations around the world uh, in terms of attitudes towards play or ideas about what play should look like. Um, yes. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a great question. And um, we actually just released a, a lo-fi play guide with um, REM, and we talk a lot about uh, cult like basically how do you design play for different cultural settings. Okay. And there is no straightforward answer. The answer is yes. It's quite different, <laughs> even from you know city to city in the U.S., uh, even from different types of demographics. Like uh, you know the the how much. Um, play a, a teacher in you know a school will be comfortable with um, in you know a, a public school here in DC versus uh, you know a fancy schmancy school I don't know in New York um, versus uh, an overcrowded classroom in Nairobi in Kenya yeah. so I think um, and there are good reasons for that right so I think the the solution to that is always approaching um approaching it through the lens of involving the the humans you design for in the design process and one one of the things i do always is i start every every session with having participants play a game they are familiar with so in nairobi that might be mankala uh, which mm -hmm. is an ancient african game um, in Greece, where we worked with the Syrian refugees, it was uh, a game I didn't know of uh, that was kind of playing a little bit like charades. Okay. Uh, yeah. In in uh, in uh, you know the U.S., it might be a game like hide and seek, um, hmm. or you know some popular kind of um, reference with superheroes. So <laughs> I think it's <laughs> I think it really depends on you know who you're designing with every time and having them take an agency and also for you just uh you know having them play a game they they know and they like and using that as the the beginning of whatever follows uh makes everybody feel comfortable and makes you understand like what um what you know what type of play uh they're most familiar with if you were to go back and do your career over is there anything that you would do differently no, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you're pretty satisfied with how it turned out. <laughs> no, it's just that I always feel like, um, you know, I, I, I'm so just grateful for, for everything, especially because I always feel like even, you know, like you know, when I was in architectural school, I'm not an architect anymore, but um, I just learned so much. Um, and, you know, every step afterwards, it's, especially when you know I had full-time jobs I feel like people were paying me basically to learn new things that have led me to this point right now mm -hmm. so yeah I have no I don't have any regrets and yeah mm -hmm. is there any particular lessons that you feel like you would like to go back and share with your younger self um I think like a lot of um Hmm. This is a deep question. I have to think about it. <laughs> I'm thinking of like young Chloe at the age of 23, like 
have just moving out of Greece, living in Amsterdam. Um, I think maybe like it's more about um, in a way like always, always, uh, always be making, always being creative. I think the most uh, productive and professionally inspiring and great periods of my life have been when I have been the most busy. Um, mm. So like some, I think like sometimes, you know, I would be like, oh, I can't take like five projects at once. But then like when that happened, it was actually really great. And <laughs> if, that's, if that's advice, taken, what other advice could I give myself? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a, that's a little bit of a false dichotomy that we are all prone to um, of uh, this idea that like, it's, you know, I think in this modern world, we have a tendency to be so overloaded that there's a lot of talk about self-care um, and the importance of self-care, which I think is very important. But then on the flip side, um, I think what you talk about is totally true that most of us, uh, when, like, I know this is true of my own experience of um, the times when you are busiest is when you are most productive and most creative. Uh, and so, yeah, it's just, I, I'm just thinking about this now. Like, how do you, um, is, is there a happy medium between the two? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm, also, I'm also Greek, so the concept of self-care does not exist in our country. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you, do you find that you ever, have, have you ever had a, an experience of getting burnt out or? Oh, of course, um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, 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 even in, in playful work, you can be burned out. Uh, <laughs> no, absolutely, of course. Um, yeah. And how do, you, how do you manage that? I usually try to take a long vacation. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the Greek islands. Um, yeah. But yeah, in terms of work, I think one of the things I've started doing um, this year it's been really busy um starting starting your own business can be um quite quite hectic sometimes yes. <laughs> um and you know when you're a creative person you have to come up with good ideas so uh one thing i've, I've started to do is like almost do this little playful meditation every every week i try to do it once a week um where i come up with this like moment of play so I try to incorporate in my routine like one little moment of some kind of playful activity where it is like, you know, um, I think this week what we had was, you know, kind of looking on this on the sidewalk for objects and imagining, you know, the story behind them. So little things like a, a shoe or a glove mm -hmm. or a Starbucks um, cup. And so I feel like there is, I try to, my self-care is play, I guess. I try to do it. <laughs> That's cool. I love that idea. So it sounds like you're pretty immersed right now in uh, the ongoing sort of development of your business. And there's a, this big project that's happening in Nairobi. Um, what do you see happening down the road for you and your work? Yeah, I mean, I think um, 
think one of our dreams as as a as a team is to really um, you know show organizations that it is absolutely possible to have it all mm. have engaging playful delightful consumer level products and programs that still have a really big impact and you know can affect millions of of children or even adults around the world so i feel that is one of our one of the things that we are really looking forward to uh, working on in the next um, years. Very cool. And if some, if people want to follow along on your journey and find more information about you and everything that you're doing, um, where can they go? So we have a website, humanswhoplay.com, and then we're pretty active on Instagram mostly. Um, so yeah, we we always love hearing from people, especially uh, yeah, if you're into into play or want to learn more about it. Um, Very cool. And your Instagram is also humans who play, correct? It is. Yes. Very easy, straightforward. Cool. Any last thoughts before we wrap up? I don't know. I was I was trying to think. So this podcast is all about creativity, right? It is. Um, I, Maybe like maybe some last it would be interesting maybe to talk about how um, like play can help us be more creative. Yes, thank you for making that link. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, just, I mean I th- I think about this all the time. Um, so yeah, one of so um, play and creativity. One of my favorite books that I read this year was this book by Steven Johnson, um, who most people know from like how we got to now and all these books, but it's called Wonderland and it's actually all about play. Mm. Um, And it talks about how play um, has been in the center of some of the world's most important inventions. Um, And so I don't know, I really really love that book because I think it really gives a really good history of how uh, plays crucial to creativity and mm. yeah one of, I don't know one of my favorite stories from that book is this um, two brothers uh, from like that the Banu Musa um, that yeah lived somewhere in I don't know uh, the early early um, 20 hundreds or something like that um, and they wrote this book of ingenious devices Mm. And it was a whole, basically, it was a whole book of toys. (laughs) (laughs) And it was this just like musical box type of toys. But they were just so technologically advanced for their time. Mm. And it is fascinating. You know, sometimes, um, I know other than work that we do with international kind of development clients, we work with product companies, with people who design apps and um, you know, uh, maybe physical electronic products, and you know sometimes they just, you know, we work with teams and teams, you know, they don't have time. We ask them to go in a meeting. Everybody hates meetings. Um, they have no time for playing, and it's so fascinating when you know you design a little play experience for them, a 
brainstorming that feels a bit more playful, doesn't have people sitting in a closed room, um, how they become much, so much more creative. It's mm. just uh, freeing for the brain. And it's only because we think of play again as this non-useful, uh, um, useful, you know, way uh, to be productive or like use our time wisely that we don't incorporate it more in work. But I think that it's so, so, so crucial to have a playful mindset when you want to be creative. Yeah. yeah, it's hard to come up with uh, good ideas without that element of play. It is. And in general, it is really hard to come up with good ideas. And sometimes um, we have this little game in our team when we are brainstorming where we if we're stuck, like we will just like come up with ideas about like incorporating bananas to mm -hmm. the challenge. So just like <laughs> it might lead to very like silly stuff, but that's okay. Like sometimes when you're stuck, you really need a brainstorm of like useless ideas, like really bad ideas. Um, I actually do that in like ideation sessions. I yeah. have a part where. I will just ask participants to come up with the worst ideas for this problem. And it's just fun. It's really fun. And also it, it helps us understand, okay, we should really not do that. <laughs> not have bananas. Goals. Um, I don't know. <laughs> does it ever, does, does a worst idea ever lead to a best idea directly? Oh, for sure. For sure. I think recently we were, um, brainstorming on this app concept and then we were just we were not going anywhere and we start playing around with the word uh, cuckoo like mm -hmm. uh, a cuckoo clock and now we're doing like this is a core part of the app actually <laughs> <laughs> so, I think yes absolutely they do um, and the thing with play is also uh, you know, in, in um, design sometimes, and we, we iterate a lot, right? Or there's like this word failure. So we build a prototype and it fails, and then you feel really bad about it. But um, what is interesting with play is that failure is really reframed as iteration in a way. Mm. So design, let's say you design a game or a playful experience like a toy. Um, you test it, something doesn't work. You're not upset about it. It's just iter an iteration, right? So you just keep iterating to to make it better. So I feel it's a bit more of a safer space to um, iterate and and design um, multiple prototypes for a solution. Whereas um, you know if it's straight up design, sometimes this can be feel more um, more liminal, I guess. Hmm. Well, thank you so much, Chloe. It's been a, a real pleasure having you on the podcast. No, thank you so much. This was really delightful and uh, made me think. I'm gonna, I'm gonna still think about the advice I would give to myself today. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know if you have any further thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Everyday Creative People. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Please don't forget to subscribe to future episodes and rate the podcast. Leave a comment and make sure you tell your friends to come listen. And remember, we'll be back with another episode next Monday.